Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest motorcycle and ATV dealer. And it is time to go to one of our favorite contributors. Not only is an expert angler, but he really covers the hunting for us. And Nate Zielinski, it is in the air. I mean, we had some rainy times, which I know are going to change your scouting. You're going to tell us about that. We've got some sun coming up now. Um, but fall, the seasons, I think, well, some of it, didn't some of the archery start this week or next week? You know, we have uh, sheep hunting in a lot of the a lot of the different units with uh, with archery equipment started last Saturday, so we are a, a full week into the sheep hunting for a lot of different guys, the uh, the elite few that had luck on their side to draw those tags. Uh, so those guys are having some great hunts. Uh, I know I took part of a couple of those hunts this week, and I had full blown blizzard conditions. You know, it's uh, it's middle of August, early August, and we had you know multiple measurable inches of snow and uh, a lot of extreme temps way above tree line so it's fall is definitely in the air once uh once you start to make a snowball i definitely consider it uh it fall for sure so we have that going on and then archery pronghorn starts tuesday so very excited about that there's a lot of avid archers uh in the field excited about that opening archery pronghorn that's kind of really the the true kickoff to kind of fall hunting season just because a lot of people have the availability of that tag you know there's over-the-counter tags available for that so really excited about that and then just a few weeks away we start our elk and deer uh archery season so everything is in full swing there is no doubt about it you know i i don't hunt pronghorn with a bow because i can't get within 10 yards of one so <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> well, you know, and it's a big changer. You know, we were, uh, when we were super dry this, you know, say even a month ago, uh, you know, it was great. The water hole dried up. The animals were so patternable. It was, uh, it was looking like probably one of the, the easier pronghorn seasons that we're going to have. And then all of a sudden now, uh, you know, it's almost like we have a monsoon season. We've had a lot of moisture uh, in a good portion of the state. So there's so much moisture. There's water holes everywhere. You know, where, where I'm personally going to be doing my pronghorn hunting, um, these animals are getting moisture everywhere. They're getting moisture off the ground. Every little divot has water. So, uh, you know, water hole is still an effective way to do it, but you're going to have to have patience. What used to be maybe a daily migration to water might be now, you might have to sit there five days before you have that opportunity that animal kind of makes its round a different water. So uh, it's definitely going to be tougher in the waterhole type situation uh, this year. So I'm definitely planning on more 100% of a a spot and stock or a decoy style hunt just to get close to these animals this coming week. So uh, we're excited about that. We're actually going to be doing some live footage from the field. So uh, I kind of throw that out there. If you uh, want to see some live stuff, you can go to Bowtech Archery's Facebook page or you can go to myself, uh, my new personal uh, Facebook page uh, for hunting is Nate Zielinski. Instead of Nate Zielinski, you go to Nate Zielinski on Facebook, you'll find that. But we're actually going to be doing some live coverage of these pronghorn hunts on uh, on for sure Wednesday, if not Tuesday as well. So so everybody can stay tuned for that and kind of see the, the exact situations that we're doing to be successful. Now, I would imagine, and when I, I don't even have to ask this, but I know, the, this rain has had to change what your elk were doing and the movements, the colder weather, the patterns. What do you see going on there? You know, the most thing is, is what every hunter, I think, really waits for 
uh, in the transition from scouting to hunting is when these bulls go hard horn, and that is happening as we speak. I have bulls right now that have rubbed off. They are 100% hard horn. The velvet is gone. I have other bulls still in velvet, uh, but generally speaking, by about the 14th, you know, so we're, we're very close. A couple days, um, these animals generally are almost 100% hard horn. So that really is the sign of testosterone building. I mean, they don't lose that velvet until, you know, love is basically starting in the air. The growth of the antler is done. Um, so really, it's a it's more of an internal effect on these animals and in how their, their normal lifestyle is changing uh, when they go hard horn. So the second these animals go hard horn, that's a sign that aggression's in the air. That's a sign that, you know, they're getting a little moody. That's when the fighting starts. That's when the building of harem starts. That's when really everything starts to take its role. So, you know, we've been talking scouting for months and months to try to be successful and try to have the, you know, the best hunting season we can possibly have uh, and really the dedication that we want to put into it. You know, everybody has to take their level of the hunt to, to whatever level they're looking for. But, um, you know, me personally, I take advantage of the opportunities in Colorado. Do-it-yourself style hunts, you know, a lot of availability of tags. And we take, you know, areas that might not be the best in the state as far as herd counts, but through great scouting and great education, we can make a, a run-of-the-mill type tag, an absolutely amazing tag, because we use all the, the resources through scouting and build the education and find the select great animals in every unit. Um, and that's right now, when you see come hard horn it's come full circle i mean it's it's no longer you know that that kind of anticipated scouting once they go hard horn they're in that area they're going to be where they are during that archery muzzleloader season right now so once they go hard horn uh generally speaking the migration's about done and they uh, they are full-blown ready to go now what are some of the tips that when you're scouting this time of the year um what they've they're ready they're in their areas i mean one thing i think you emphasize a lot is make sure you're not running these animals off you don't want to get in too close you, you got to be aware of the wind just as much when you're scouting as when you're uh, on your actual hunt what about um i would think the water issue is going to be affecting the elk just like it did everything else Absolutely. You know, uh, what the big thing I'm looking for for, for water right now is they're going to drink everywhere. So where you used to have anticipation of building a watering hole for the sake of drinking, uh, it's really, I don't want to say it's out the window because, again, if you have patience, it's still going to work. Um, but, again, where when we have, le- you know, very less water, you know, not as much water in, in the general systems, um, these animals will drink out of a given water hole every day, sometimes twice a day. When you start to have massive amounts of water, um, we see that kind of cut back a little bit. So if you have a great water hole, it's still definitely worth hunting. But generally speaking, we say a person has to sit on a water hole for five days to be successful. If you sit on a water hole for five straight days, uh, generally speaking, at some point, that animal will come back to its normal pattern uh, at least a couple times within that, that time period, and you should have opportunity at that animal. Um, again, through scouting a month ago, that animal is probably hitting it every day, and the odds were great. Uh, as when we have a lot of water, you know, again, it's going to be like a, a one-in-five type situation. So it's still a great, valid opportunity to hunt water. Um, you're just going to have to pay your dues and have some patience on that water, and it's going to be successful for you. The one thing I'm doing now in this, is a separation between a cooling-off type area and a drinking area. So I'm now starting to look for wallows. So I'm looking for more so than a creek that they're going to drink out of or a small little you know, indentation where there's water available to drink. I'm looking for really swampy black mud. I want an area where these animals are going to wallow and roll around. 
um, to cool themselves off. So it's more of a situation where the bulls are going to utilize it a little bit more than the cows. I mean, the cows and calves will definitely play in the water, uh, but a bull will love to roll around, especially as that rut starts, especially when they start getting lack of sleep. They start getting extremely overheated uh, from running around, keeping track of their harems. And that really can be a, a definitely a, a better source other than just a normal water hole. It's where drinking, they can drink about everywhere, but they can't wallow everywhere. So you're looking for, again, that really soft mud, uh, something that they can take on their hide to cool themselves down, take on to keep flies off, that type situation. So now I'm really trying to put a transition from water to finding those key wallow areas uh, that's really going to help me out when they start rutting hard, they're going to start wallowing, and they will build a strong pattern on a wallow opposed to drinking in multiple situations. So a scouting tip is to definitely find those wallows. The other big thing I'm scouting, you really want to know timing. You want to have a rough idea of when they're going into their bedding zones. And doesn't have, you don't have to be really close to do this. Just the second you see them go from meadows or open hillsides and going into the timber, you as the hunter are scouting those time periods so you can make a good decision when you're actually out there hunting that. Does it, this particular animal that you're watching, do they bed down at 7 a.m.? Do they bed down at 9 a.m.? You have to know that rough idea so when you're chasing them, if they start heading for the direction of their area, you can make that decision and say, hey, he always beds down at 7.30. You know, it's 7.15. I know I can't catch up to him by, by that time period. So let's back off and hunt him again in the evening or hunt him again tomorrow morning. Um, then make that good decision to back off instead of push your limits and possibly bump the animal as he's going into his bed and never have a chance at that animal again. So I'm scouting timing a lot. The other big thing I'm scouting, now that our weather – I don't want to say our weather's consistent, but it's probably consistent to where it's going to be on that opening archery here in two weeks. So I'm really scouting my thermals, and that's the big thing. We talked about it last week, but I'm really scouting my wind and my thermals. You know, thermals are going to be a suction of air up and down the canyon. Wind will be changing as the weather changes. Uh, but I'm really watching those thermals uh, more so than the wind. The weather will change the wind, but the thermals are going to be fairly consistent right now. So I'm really watching what those wind and those thermals are doing in combination. So I have just a rough idea when it comes time to actually hunting these animals of, hey, I know I can't approach this area from this direction because I have a bad thermal sucking down into those animals. So again, I'm putting a big emphasis right now on scouting that to have an idea of what it will be like come opening day of that archery season. All right, Nate, I, I couldn't agree more with the things you've said. We've got a couple minutes left. I want to ask you real quick, what, other than maybe the winds, what do you think this time of the year is the biggest mistake people make scouting? You know, the biggest mistake I think is everybody gets too hung up on trail cams. I would say that's probably the biggest trend that we're seeing right now that is, that is hurting people. Um, everybody wants a picture of their animal. They want to brag to their buddy that they have a picture of this animal on camera. And trail cameras are an amazing tool. We're allowed to use them here in Colorado. There are some states that do not allow them, so we're really fortunate to have this. And it can be an unbelievable tool to help us scout. You know, I put them on wallows. I put them on water holes. So I really know the timing in which these animals are utilizing those sources. But the biggest thing is you have to know exactly where the animals are at when you go in there to set those cameras. So many people are setting them at the wrong time of day and they're getting winded in those areas. So people don't think that the elk can smell you, you know, seven, 800 yards away, a thousand yards away, even the deer or the bear, whatever you're hunting. So everybody goes in at these, these different, you know, positions of set their trail cameras at odd times and they end up pushing their animal out or they leave scent you know on their camera they do things to ruin their hunt so the biggest thing is you really have to understand the system before you go in there and set those trail cameras so i'd say right now i'd say that's the biggest thing i'm seeing is it's getting close more and more people are putting trail cameras up um, and i see a lot of animals getting pushed around while people are setting those trail cams so really try to 
ask yourself where these animals are at, what they're doing uh, to make that better understanding of when I can go in there and where I should be setting them and where I should stay out of. That's probably the biggest thing is where I shouldn't go to not push these animals and hurt the animals' daily uh, habits, per se. Now, just change gears real quick, take a minute or two, and what's going on fishing? You know, Terry, this week we've probably started to see the, some of the best trout fishing I've had. Uh, to be totally honest, with the high water uh, and the increased kind of population of yellow perch in Spinning Mountain Reservoir, uh, the bite's been kind of scattered. We're catching a lot of fish and a lot of good fish, um, but not, I'd say, what we'd consider a normal year. The fish were kind of spread out. Uh, same thing at 11 ball. Fish were kind of spread out. All of a sudden, the, the water temperatures are starting to cool off just a little bit. You know, we got cold rain settling on top of the water. we got colder temperatures at night starting to settle in. Uh, that water starting to fall off. It's really kind of starting that fall pattern. The fall conditions are hitting. Uh, and as that water temperature cools off, these trout are gathering up in bigger schools. Uh, and the fishing is absolutely incredible. So, you know, Spinning Mountain Reservoir, having a, a 60 to 80 fish day right now on big fish is a possibility. You're having a good 30 to 40 fish day is very, very possible almost every day. So the trout fishing at all the reservoirs, Antero is fishing great from hand-launched boats to shore. Spinny's fishing unbelievable from both shore and boats. Uh, Levenwell is fishing very strong. So the trout fishing is something that I would say right now would be my one of my number one destination goals to, to really target as these fish gathered up in big groups and are, and are very aggressive. Any particular techniques? You know, we've been doing a lot of different stuff. I mean, fishing spoons, like Minotaur Wobblers have been doing very well. Uh, throwing small jerk baits have been great. I've been throwing a lot of the XTS baits from, uh, you know, that out there, little jerk baits, and they've been working very, very well. But again, a jerk bait in a three and a half to four inch size, four being the maximum. Uh, and those little jerk baits are doing very well. We're even swimming tube jigs, uh, and that's doing very well. So again, fairly fast paced. The water's clear, the fish can see well. So anything you can fish with some sort of reaction at a higher pace is going to catch fish this time of year. All right. We're out of time, Nate, but if people wanted to get more information or book a trip with you, where do they go? Go to tightlineoutdoors.com. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Tightline Outdoors on Facebook, as well as Nate Zelensky. And again, everything goes back to the website at tightlineoutdoors.com. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good rest of the weekend. Uh, Nate Zelensky, just a great resource. Terry Wicks from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. And it's time for our Sportsman's Warehouse Ask the Expert. This is where you send your question to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Gmail, and it can be fishing, hunting, camping, outdoor cooking, outdoor clothing, anything outdoors. And if we choose to answer your question on the air, you get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse just for sending it in. And by the way, I'm going to have Karen post how you do this on Facebook over the next few days again. So this should be able to go. You should follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, because it keeps track of what's going on on this show. Today's question is from Joe in Littleton. He says, hi, Terry. I'm newly retired and decided to take up my favorite old hobby from early years, fishing. I have no idea where to start as far as lures and flies. I have only done a little fishing in some ponds around the metro area using worms. A friend gave me a MEPS, I think it's called a Black Fury, and a pink taz devil, a pink taz devil. What should I have in my beginning bait box? Help, please. Thanks, Joe. Joining me to help answer this question, a frequent contributor to this show and somebody you're all familiar with, that's Chad Lachance from Fishful Thinker. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing good. It looks like it's sunny down here. I hope it's sunny up by the home front up there. 
Uh, yes, sir. Fixing to go out on the paddleboard here for a couple of minutes, actually, but not until we get this very important question answered. <laughs> and, you know, this is a question we could spend two hours and we wouldn't cover it. Um, because what, what kind of water are you going to fish? You're going to fish rivers or stream and streams. You're going to fish small ponds. You're going to fish lakes. Maybe a combination of those. Are you going to target a specific species? Are you going to start out with trout or you want to start with panfish? Um, but there are a few basic things that you can put in. And then I think... You have to kind of grow as you go, so to say, because I don't want my wife Karen to hear this, but too much fishing gear can be just as bad as not enough, especially for a beginner. Yeah, without question. I think in the beginning you have to you have to start with as universal stuff as possible because as an angler, uh, Mr. Joe there might not even know exactly what species are in the pond or what he might be targeting. And so in my mind, it's kind of come down to, to keep it simple and pick a couple lures that are A, easy to fish, and B, very universal in their appeal. So in other words, if you get in front of a crappie or a bass or a trout or you know whatever, any of them might bite it. So my answer is going to be, uh, you know, very, very simple in my approach to that. And, and ironically, I carry a truck box in my truck and it's probably real similar to what, uh, to what Joe, uh, Joe's talking about. And that box is made such that I can pull over and fish anywhere I happen to be and at least be in the ballpark. But I always keep emergency fishing gear in my truck because you never know when you're going to have to stop. That's but, right. So what are, what are some of your way. suggestions then? Well, I think the first thing I'd look at is not too far from one he's already got. He mentioned a MEPS Black Fury. That's a very famous old-school spinner. Um, you know, that I think is a good call. An inline spinner in general is a good call. In my case, it would without question be a Johnson minnow spin because unlike that, that MEPS, it casts much better, and it will run in a, in a straighter line without twisting your line so much. It's a much heavier bait, and it won't twist the line as much. So an inline spinner and something like an eighth ounce uh, and, uh, and maybe a white one, a black one, and a natural you know, green or a brown type color is a great call because, again, anybody will bite it. So uh, you can retrieve it uh, you know, right under the surface and make a wave with it, or you can let it sink a little bit and retrieve it. Uh, you can run it in current for trout. So a Johnson minnow spin in like an eighth ounce would be a really, really good call all the way around. Uh, another one, and I know you're going to jump on this one, is, is you guys got to have it, in my mind, is an eighth-ounce jig head and a, a three-inch grub. In my case, it would be a Berkeley, Berkeley Power Grub, um, but a little grub like that, again, extremely universal. I can, I can jig it on the bottom. I can retrieve it under the surface or anywhere in between, and, uh, and that's a really, really good call. And then my third one, I think I'm probably going to add a beetle spin arm to that. And you take a beetle spin, you can put your grub on that beetle spin, uh, again, I can fish it more weedless. I can. It has universal appeal and uh, a little flash, a little vibration. But those are probably the top three. And if I get to choose four, then I'm going with a little spoon. A Johnson Splinter, it's uh, similar to a Castmaster, uh, be a really good call. You can throw it a long ways, really shiny. Uh, trout especially love little shiny stuff, but so do walleyes and bass, and I think that's a good call. Now, a couple things. First, I want to agree with you on a couple things. A handful of light jig heads and some probably two to four inch grubs depending, but let's say you settle on a three inch grub and maybe a couple colors. I would have a very bright one that's flashy and I'd have a neutral one that in case it's a more tough situation. But the biggest thing when you fish those is don't be afraid to break a couple off by throwing them almost right into the cover. You know, you're only going to have a, you know, 30, 40 cents invested in a jig head and a, and a grub. And people tend to, like the inline spinner you talked about, it's a tremendous lure for almost all species, but it doesn't fish very well through cover. So you're going to fish that in lanes and open water. With that jig, you can throw it, especially if you put that beetle spin arm on it. You can come right through the tops of the grass. Great, great 
great. And I think the spoon, I'm assuming he's going to be fishing from shore. He doesn't have a boat yet. But even if he doesn't, spoons cast so far, you can just cover water, Chad, because sometimes the fish are going to move further and closer to shore. Sometimes you just got to cover water to find them. Another thing, a couple things I might add, and these are going to be a little more specific. One about is if you're fishing a lot of ponds and shore, maybe bass by shore and stuff, a four-inch worm, a four-inch just uh, Berkeley's new Max scent will be out pretty soon. They're making some four- and five-inch worms. They also make some finesse worms in their power worms. But a four-inch worm that you can rig either weightless on a, just a hook, learn to Texas rig, and you're going to be able to throw that in places that no one else will fish, and you'll catch it may, you know bass of different sizes, and you'll get bit a lot just because you, you'll learn that you can put it almost anywhere. The other thing that I would add is no matter what your level and style of fishing, people don't fish a bobber enough. I would take either a snap-on bobber or a couple slip bobbers, learn how to rig them properly with some hooks, and then I'd get some jars. And you can use night crawlers and things like that under them, certainly, and they'll work well. He said he fished with worms. But then maybe buy a couple jars of some of the gulp products like the, the gulp mini night crawler or the pinched worm and learn to put those just on a hook below a bobber and you can catch a lot of panfish that way too. Oh yeah, without question. I mean, a bobber with a little piece of gulp underneath it is about as universal as it gets. And, and, and as you know, it comes down to the depth. And so uh, Joe there, I'm going to encourage him to pay attention to his depth ranges as he's learning his, his trade. But uh, without question, something like a, a one inch gulp minnow or the little, the little crawler uh, is a really good call underneath under a bobber. And, you know, if the other possibility that he could throw out there and really have fun around these ponds is to actually take that same rig that he's putting under a bobber and instead tie it off the back of a surface popper. And then all of a sudden he's got a bobber, a popper that acts like a bobber, uh, can catch panfish or whatever. But if a big bass shows up, it'll eat that popper. So there's possibilities there as far as it goes. A couple things. Uh, I like what you said. First of all, the 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 uh, fact of don't be afraid to throw around the cover. A lot of fish, trout or otherwise, uh, spend a lot of time around cover. And so we always talk about, you know, fancy lures and all that, but Joe probably ought to work a little bit on his casting accuracy and, and things like that, because that will allow him to put his lure in more places uh, that's likely to hold fish and also to lose less lures. So casting practice uh, pays the bills when it comes to keeping from losing lures. And that's something I would encourage him uh, as well. But, um, you know, and I would also encourage him to, to stick to smaller areas as he's, as he's working out his, uh, you know, his, his learning curve. Ponds are much quicker to work out, more confidence involved, and you're more likely to get bit. If you go to some of Colorado's premier fisheries, now the fish have more area to move around, and they may be a little harder to locate. So sticking close to ponds and rivers will keep it more consistent in the beginning. Now, we're out of time, but I do want to add, I couldn't agree more. If, if, and if Joe will just take some of these basic lures and develop his techniques, get a medium spinning reel. We did a tackle talk on spinning rods and reels just a couple weeks ago. I'll, I'll send him a link to that. And and go out there and just start experimenting. And, and don't, be, don't try to get too much stuff. Get some stuff till you learn to feel a little confidence in it. And then as you go to locations different as you expand, buy some gear, go to the sportsman's warehouse, say, I've been doing this now, I want to try this, what should I buy, and grow as you go. Yeah, absolutely. Controlled growth is going to be better in the beginning. I mean, a, a little tiny box with a half dozen lures in it will catch, catch you fish in a lot of places. All right, Chad, thank you so much for being our expert today. Of course, you can get a hold of Ch Chad at fishfulthinker.com and fishfulthinker on Facebook. And, of course, his television shows air on Altitude and World Fishing Network. Thanks, Chad. All right, thanks, Terry. Have a good day. You bet. Chad Lachance, a great resource for us. And, and that was our Ask the Expert. 
you need to go, you need to send us your outdoor question. Joe's going to get a $25 gift card just for sending that question in. So send your outdoor questions to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, uh, Gmail, and follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and maybe you'll get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company's Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. I want to go right to the phones, and joining us from Colorado Clays is Mark Cousins. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Terry. You know, I had some encouraging information from you when we were talking earlier in the week. You know, we, we preach, don't just get ready for hunting, stay ready for hunting. And you were telling me you're getting a lot more people coming in early, practicing, checking out their firearms. Maybe we're finally getting the message out. I sure hope so. And it seems to be that way, Terry. We're getting um, more and more folks are showing up, checking out their hunting rifles. Um, several guys got new guns. There's, um, I've had a lot of parents in with their children that are getting ready for a few of them for their first big game hunt. So they're already getting out there, they're practicing, they're doing a lot of shooting and getting familiar with their equipment, so it's great to see. Why don't you tell people all the resources available at uh, Colorado Clays? Well, Colorado Clays, we call it's called Colorado Clays Shooting Park because it truly is a, a complete shooting park. Um, of course, we have the Clays. We have a 15-station sporting clays course. Uh, it's broke up, so if you shoot the entire course, you shoot 100 rounds, and from six to eight birds per station, and so you get, there's two machines at each station. So you actually get 30 different target presentations. So you're sure to find something that'll help get you ready for whatever kind of wing shooting or small game hunting you're going to be doing with a shotgun. Um, in addition to that, we have uh, six trap pads, one of which is a um, set for a beginning pad for introductory shooting or for training. It kind of throws a fairly soft, almost true straightaway to help get folks familiar with um, swinging the shotgun and mounting the shotgun. And then we have two trap-skeet combination fields. So you can go down and shoot skeet if you want those hard crossers and some doubles. Great for the upcoming dove season. And in addition to that, we have a um, 20-lane rifle and pistol range, 10 lanes of rifle, 10 lanes of pistol, um, up to 100 yards. It's an open-air overhead baffled range with a covered firing line. So we can we can handle just about any shooting activity that you want to do. I tell you what, another thing I want to mention too is not only can you shoot from any position virtually prone or kneeling or on a bag with your rifle, you can shoot uh, black powder there. Yes, and we're in open air so we don't have um, you know any concerns about true black powder. Um, you know, that's even has more, you know, smoke and, and soot than the substitute powders. But you can shoot true black powder in there. Um, getting A lot of guys have been showing up, working up their new loads with their black powder guns. And when they started showing up earlier this year, my first question is, oh, what unit did you draw? Because they're coming in there on a mission because they got to get ready, and you know they drew a good tag. So it's been a lot of fun having people in. The other thing you mentioned that I really want to relate back to, and that's dove hunting. Now, I firmly believe... Yeah. That dove hunting is a conspiracy that was started by the manufacturers of ammunition. Well, it used to be said that, and I, I, you know, I've never believed this number. They said that it was like four shells fired per dove harvested, and I'll bet anything it's at least twice that, because <laughs> it's usually how many boxes did you shoot if you limit it out, and it doesn't need to be that way. What gets everybody is doves the first, you know, um, shotgun hunting of the year pops up September 1, 
and that's you know that's just around the corner. We're only like two and a half weeks away. We've got hunting season, and you get out there, and their people are rusty, and they're not getting their head down on the stock. They're not swinging through the bird, and they go through a whole lot of ammunition in order to take a few birds home for dinner. Now, doves, by the way, are delicious, and harvesting something to eat is fantastic. They're prolific, but you're right. Um, I, I'm as guilty. I tell everybody, be ready to hunt, and I don't shoot shotguns nearly enough anymore, and I wouldn't be ready to hunt if I was going dove hunting this year. Which of the disciplines for the shotgun are the best practice for dove hunting? I think for doves, to really help you get the gun moving, um, skeet's a good one because you have some real tough crosser angles. Uh, skeet's a, um, a game that is shot from eight different stations. It's a kind of in a half circle with two machines. There's a high house and a low house. So you get a little bit different angles from each side. And you shoot them going away from you and coming almost straight at you. And you shoot them at almost 90-degree crossers. Those are the tough ones. you got to get a good lead on those birds. Um, it's a fairly close-range game. You shoot with a very open choke, so it's the same chokes you would use hunting. Uh, also, sporting clays, you don't have to go shoot the full 100-bird course. You can go out and say you just want to shoot um, two boxes of shells. You can walk through and watch people shoot different stations and say, yes, that one looks just like a shot that I'm missing all the time in dove hunting. I need to practice that. And then you shoot that station and pick out you know, half the stations that maybe represent what you want to to practice on. And it's a great way to do it. You can go through. All our machines are set up. If you don't have anybody to push the button for you, all our stations are set up. You can program timed release right into the sporting clays. The uh, trap pads up top have voice-activated release. So even if you can't get anybody else to get ready for season, um, you can go out and, and get ready by yourself and then show your friends up out in the field. All right. How do they find Colorado Clays, Mark? Colorado Clays is super easy to find. We're um, located east of Brighton, about six miles east of Bar Lake. Just head out on Bromley Lane, hit Lanewood, take a right, head south on Lanewood, follow the signs on in, uh, go to coloradoclays.com. Great thing to do is take a look at it. We have a great overview video that shows all the features of the range, um, of the entire shooting park, and has a map on how to get there. You can check the calendar and see what's going on. Like this morning, they have a, a registered uh, National Sporting Clays Association shoot going on. Uh, last weekend, they had a great hosted a great fundraiser shoot for Outdoor Buddies for um, hunters with mobility impairments that face challenges we can't even imagine, and they're out there hunting all the time. So um, there's some great events going on. You sign up for those things, come out, shoot with a bunch of friends. There's usually lunch involved on those. But we're open six days a week. We're only closed on Tuesday. Normal hours are 9 to 5. So um, easy place to get to. Come out and see us. All right, Mark, thank you. We'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. Okay, thank you, Terry. Right, that's Mark Cousins from Colorado Clays. We'll go right back to the phones. Joining us, one of our partners, as you know, is a Honey Smoke Fish Company. And they're a Colorado company, and they're family-owned. And joining us from Honey Smoked Fish is Skylar Mason. Good morning, Skylar. Good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing great, and I was talking about your product a little earlier. I was talking a little bit about, um, I, 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 as even as young as I am, which most people out there know I'm not, um, you're, staying healthy is a lot easier when you've got good things to eat, like honey-smoked salmon. And Karen was telling me now, too, that you guys have a bunch of recipes up on your website, too. We do. We have a brand-new state-of-the-art website. If you go visit our website at www.honeysmoked.com, smoked with edfish.com 
you can uh, go to our um, our uh, recipe page and notice that we have over 200 recipes with video content to uh, kind of demonstrate and open your mind of what all you can do and how you can implement our fresh honey smoked salmon into any dish, any co- any course meal during the day. What's your favorite enticement when you talk to people why they should try honey smoked salmon? My favorite enticement is because, like you just said, it's very nutritional and very healthy. Um, in today's society, we want to continue taking all these supplements for fish oils, omega-3s, and why not get it from a sustainable food source? Um, I'm very active into the outdoors and weightlifting, and one of the things I do the most is um, when I get done with a workout is be able to eat some of the honey-smoked salmon because it has that rich protein and high in omega-3s, and it takes you away from having to take all these supplements that, you know, you don't even know what is fully in it, when now you can get it from a sustainable food source. Well, and the thing with me is some of those supplements are hard to take or don't taste so good, or we tell ourselves we need to have them. With your product, it's always in my refrigerator. I don't have to tempt myself to eat it. I have to tempt myself to stop eating it. It's just so good. There you go. Tyler, where can they find honey? Skyler, I mean, where can they find honey smoked salmon? Finding Costco, Sam's Club, Safeway, King Supers, and Sprouts. And, t- and we are so proud of a Colorado company right here over by Tower Road and I-70. I've known your, your dad and you guys almost from the beginning. So proud to have you as a sponsor because the product is just so good, Skylar. And we are, we are honored to do it as well. All right. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Terry. Take care. Bye-bye. Bet. You bet. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Salmon's Honey Smoked Fish Company's Honey Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest motorcycle and ATV dealer. We are going to go right to the phones now. And joining us is the head superintendent of Lake McConaughey, Tyler Nelson. Good morning, Tyler. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. We have a beautiful sunny day here. How is it out at Nebraska's Lake McConaughey? It's beautiful. Just It sounds like just where you are. It's about 80 degrees today and a perfect day to be out at the lake. You know, and before we even get into the lake, you guys are a little, you're further, you're a little north, but you're east of us, but you're lower in elevation. You guys actually stay warm with fall weather, uh, with warm fall weather late into the season, don't you? That's correct. We We don't start getting terribly cold until late October, November time, so fall is definitely a good time to come out to the lake. And it's great fishing, Then we're going to talk about that. But I want to talk about current conditions and some of the activities you can do down there right before we get to the fishing. And one of the things is Lake, lake McConaughey is an incredible place to go camping. I mean, there's campgrounds there. If you don't want to stay in a campground, there's uh, Ogallala has lots of motels, there's restaurants. You can really make it any experience you want. It's the largest lake, I think, in a four-state area, and it's just beautiful. But you were telling me when you, we talked earlier that the water is at about 75% capacity, and people might take a little back. Is that bad? Well, that's not bad, is it? That's correct, Terry. We're at 75% capacity right now, which is, it sounds like very low to some people, but that's actually still about 25,000 acres of water for people to, to utilize. And with us being down at a lower water level, that actually opens up our sand beaches that we're famous for. And those sand beaches, anyone can go camp on for a nightly fee or come out in day use and swim wherever you like. So it's a very, very popular uh, destination for that reason. 
Well, you're absolutely right. And, you know, we've been fortunate over the last few years. We, you know, the water cycles, we've seen the lake get down where you had to launch a boat with a tractor. Then we saw very high water where you didn't have much beach. And by the way, the boat ramps are in good shape, you told me. That's correct. We currently have seven boat ramps open for service right now. And so everybody can launch there. That's not a problem. But with the water, and the 75% for an irrigation reservoir is actually pretty common. If you look back over the last couple decades, you're probably at more of a normal rate than the real lows or the real highs. And that beach is such an attraction. Whether you're an angler, whether you you want to water ski or jet ski, or you're going to have warm water, these big sandy beaches. But I think that camping opportunity is phenomenal where you can just pull right up on the beach and be inches from the water. That's correct. Just like you said, Terry, you can camp as close to the water as you wish or stay back a little bit further from the water and camp under the shade of some trees. The only thing that that is required is a $10 nightly fee to camp and have a park entry permit for your vehicle, and then you can camp in any designated areas. Anybody that has questions can stop by our visitor center just south of the dam or at any one of our gatehouses. And I want to get to the fishing, but one more thing. We got this eclipse coming, and you guys are just barely, I mean, you're going to be impacted quite a bit, but you're very you're very close to where the total eclipse will take place. A lot of people have been renting campers, but they can't find a place to go camp to watch the eclipse. Those beaches are a heck of an opportunity for that. That's correct. We we will definitely have space for anyone coming out to enjoy the eclipse, which the path of totality is about, oh, 10 or 12 miles away from us. There's actually a very small portion of the lake that will be in total darkness for about 17 seconds. That's on the north side, close to the west end. But Anybody wanting to come out and check out the Eclipse, we will have opportunities for people to camp on our land. All right. Now, let's talk about my favorite thing, the reason I go to McConaughey, and that's the fishing. You guys, it's a world-class fishery. You're walleye fishing at McConaughey. Um, You not only have numbers of fish and eater size, you have potentially state record fish and numbers of big fish there. That's correct, Terry. The state record walleye actually did come from Lake McConaughey some 30, 40 years ago, and we still have trophy walleye to this day. And like you said, we have great numbers of walleye as well. So whether you're looking to eat a meal or catch a trophy fish, we can offer both of those opportunities for walleye. We have an excellent white bass fishery that that goes year-round here. Catfish is a very popular uh, species to fish for. And smallmouth as well is very good for us. And I've fished for all of those, and they're extremely good fishing. And we're coming to a time of the year where I love to do the jigging spoons and blade baits. And now another popular lure for those are the jigging wraps and the glide baits, they call them. And the walleyes probably are just starting to school up under the bait fish where that's going to become a great fishery. And the white bass are probably already doing that. That's correct, Terry. Uh, The white bass are currently being caught slabbing, just like you said, anywhere from 15 to about 30 foot of water, uh, and the walleye are just now starting to, to school, like you said, and take the take the slabbing method, and that's anywhere from 30 to 50 foot of water. And that, that spooning bite is going to go on well into the fall. In fact, it'll go on until the—it probably goes on all winter. And I've actually got a, uh, a television show on my YouTube channel. If you go to The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, um, I have a show just on that spoon bite at McConaughey where we went out and fished for those walleyes with spoons. So if you want to get an idea, folks, on how to do that, um, it's a great—it's uh, about 20 minutes, 22 minutes. It's on my YouTube channel, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. But, you know, it's just a great, great resource tie 
Tyler. Any last comments before we let you go? It's just there, there's so many reasons why people should come out there. Just to touch on what you said, the fall slabbing bite, Lake McConaughey being as large as it is, some winters does not freeze up. So you can actually open water fish in some winters year round. So don't let the cold, cold scare anybody off. Come on out and try our fishing. And there's camping available year round? Correct. We do not close any campgrounds. We allow camping year round. And if people want more information, I think the best thing is ilovelakemac.com. That's correct. I love lakemac.com gives you all this information. I'll tell you what, folks, we have some great resources right here in the front range of Colorado, but this is a world-class fishery that's less than three hours from your doorstep. If you're really into fishing or if you're just into boating or swimming or outdoors, you have to go and take advantage of it. Tyler, thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thank you, Terry. You bet. We're going to wrap up the show here. A couple things I want to make sure I touch base with. One is our Ask the Expert. If you weren't listening during the Ask the Expert segment, send your questions to us. You send your questions to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on, um, at gmail.com, okay? And it can be a fishing question, a hunting question. It can be a shooting question, outdoor clothing, outdoor cooking, whatever you want it to be. If we answer your question on the air, you get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse, just for sending it in. You don't have to come on with us. You don't even have to listen, but if you send a question in, we hope you will because we want to answer it for you. But that not only helps us get you involved in the show, but if I can't answer every question on the air, but if I get a lot of questions that are similar, that tells me we need to do programming on that aspect of the outdoors. We need to address it more during the show. So it helps us set up our guests and our programming, not only the Ask the Expert. And who couldn't use a $25 gift card from Bass Pro? I'm sure you've got questions. Our goal is to help you enjoy the outdoors. Send those questions, your outdoor questions, to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors at gmail.com. And don't forget, to follow us on Facebook. That's going to be the key. I'll have Karen. She'll put up the how you do the question for the Ask the Expert on our Facebook page. We, we link uh, several of our podcasts and interviews. We link back to them on our Facebook page. We give you information, like if you'd have gone on our Facebook page yesterday, you'd have known that Bob Broshide, Director of Parks and Wildlife, was on in the first hour with us. We link every time we put a new television show up on our YouTube channel, and we link to my column in the Denver Post. So follow us, like us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. We're going to step aside here. I want to say thanks to Karen and thanks to Kyle in the control room. Um, they're going to be taking you out to the last day of uh, training camp with DMAC and the guys, and we'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour on 104.3 The Fan. Welcome to the Hotel California.